perfect time. Bring somebody. That's going to be the last Sunday of this month. Look there in Matthew, Matthew the ninth chapter. Stacy, you shared something with me before church today. Just get ready. God has got a divine setup today. I'm just going to let you know there's a divine setup. This is just the preempting to the setup. And you're going to understand as we look at this. Father, I come before you, Lord, today. And Lord, I humbly ask for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We know that there's authority in the Word. Lord, we want to stand in that authority. Lord, we need more than inspiration. We need revelation. I pray, Father God, that you would give revelation today. As Lord, as we look at this passage, I, I just lay it at your feet and ask God that you would do what only you can do. And Lord, crush the enemy's head by the anointing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, there's a couple of different tales of this same story. I'm going to draw from Matthew 9. I read through this passage, and there's, a, there's something that just captured my attention. And the title of the message is such today. I want you to look here in Matthew 9, in, beginning in verse 18. It says, While he spoke, while Jesus spoke these things to them, Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus arose and followed him, and, did, and so did his disciples. Verse 20. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room. For the girl is not dead but sleeping. They ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report went out into all of the land. Now, I want you to notice something here in this passage of Matthew. Now, Mark gives a more detailed account, and we'll kind of be touching on that, but you can find Mark's account in, in chapter 5. But what you see here is there are two eternally inseparable stories of faith in the Synoptic Gospels of the rich, the Jairus, the, the ruler of the synagogue, and the woman who had the issue of blood. If you read one, you're going to read the other every time because it's right there. It is, it is woven together. Amazingly enough, as you look at this, this miracle took place in Capernaum. In Capernaum, we just visited Capernaum. And there was a synagogue that was there that Jairus was ruler of. In this community at the time, believed to be about 1,500 people sitting on the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
Do you know that it was the centurion who paid for that synagogue to be built? We stood in that synagogue, that the ruins of that synagogue, about the, I would say, half, maybe three-quarters of the size of our gymnasium over here, just steps away from the Sea of Galilee. All the little ruins of the dwelling places all around, and some of you may have been there. It's, a, it, it's quite fascinating to go and look at the ruins and know that Jesus went into that synagogue, to know that there was miracles that took place in Capernaum, the place called Jesus' hometown. In fact, there was a there was a woman here who had an issue of blood. Now we see here in this story of the intertwining stories of faith, we have the ruler of the synagogue. He was, if you will, of the social standing. He was a, a, a proud member of the society. He wasn't a rabbi, but he had complete control over the, over the synagogue. In fact, it was the very synagogue that the man with the withered hand was healed. So, more likely than not, he was in that synagogue that day where the withered, the man with the withered hand was healed. So he saw the miracles of God. That was the same synagogue that when Jesus went into, uh, that the man with the unclean spirit, the demoniac that came in, Jesus delivered him on a different day. Jairus would have been in there. He saw the miracles. He had an eyewitness account of the miracle that took place. But see, his point of faith was, Jesus, I need you to come to my house and lay hands on my daughter. Now, Mark says that he was standing there and he petitioned God before his daughter had died. And then someone from the household came and said, said, don't bother the master anymore. Don't bother him anymore. Don't bother the rabbi because your daughter has already passed. But Jesus halted him in the midst and said, no, wait. Don't be afraid. What is the first thing that steps in and tries to rob you of your miracle? It's fear. He said, don't be afraid, but he said, this is what you do. Only believe. Only believe. What is your part? Your part is belief. What, what, is, what is the main ingredient of faith? It's belief. You got to take some, you know, you don't just take flour and make a cake. You got to have a few other ingredients even to make a simple, simple recipe. If you want to have faith, you got to have belief, you got to have trust, you got to have hope. But that's not the end all. You got to take that now. You got to take that trust and belief and hope, and you got to combine that with action. And now you get the full cake. Now you get faith. And see, faith is our response to God. His response to us is grace, the empowering to accomplish the miracle, the signs and wonders. We are not the ones that do the healing, He heals through us. Amen. So we have here a, a person who in all accounts has had an eyewitness up front understanding of the miracle working power of this one who professes to be the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, if I could just venture off a little ways right here. Jesus Christ 
salvation, the anointed one. You know what the enemy wants to rob you of? Of Christ. He wants to rob you of the anointing because it's the anointing that crushes the yoke. It's the anointing that opens the blinded eyes. It is the anointing that causes the deaf to hear. It is the anointing that, that enables the preacher to stand behind the pulpit and to penetrate the darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can receive the good news. It is the anointing that sets the prisoner free. It is the anointing folks that we need and we have in our land today a, a spirit an anti-anointing spirit in the land today denying the relationship between the father and the son denying the fact that Jesus came in the flesh denying the fact that he paid the ultimate price uh, for your salvation and for my salvation uh, and to bring us out of darkness into that marvelous light so here we have this this tale this two, these two individuals, one in the, in, in all intents and purposes on the upper end of the social ladder. Could we see that? Highly respected man of the community. And he's got a daughter, 12 years of age, his promised precious child has just stepped into eternity. And all of his religious understanding, all of his rituals and all of his observance of the, of the, of the Torah and all of, the, all of that brought him to a place where he has exhausted every bit of that to come to a place now that without the intervention of God, his beautiful baby is going to be gone. Now, children of God, understand this. There's been horrific loss in your life of late, but here's the beautiful thing. We are victors in the end. Amen? If the enemy had the ability to take us all out tomorrow or today, he would do that. But guess what? We still win. Amen? Because we have victory in this life and in the next. But as long as we are here, we're going to fight the fight of faith. We're going to keep the faith. We're going to, we're going to stick it out. We're going to do everything we can to see the miracle signs and wonders happen in your life and in your family's life. And we're going to drive out cancer. We're going to do those things that God would have us to do. Amen? So we see here, you've got Jairus on that upper end of the social ladder. But then on the other end, you get this woman with an issue of blood. She is ceremonially unclean. So because of her issue, she's not able to worship. She's not able to go into the synagogue. She's got to catch Jesus outside. <laughs> she's she's got to catch him on, on the moving in the to and the fro. She, she, can't, uh, she can't enter into that place of worship because of her being ceremonially unclean she's got she's got an expulsion from her body that she cannot control and she is she has spent everything that she has on physicians they've done everything they can possibly do and still she has not grown better mark says she got worse could she have seen the miracle working power of god possibly but the Bible doesn't tell us that. 
But what Mark tells us is that she heard. She heard. She heard that, hey, Jesus is in town. She heard, even in that little community, how the withered man, she was not in the synagogue, but she heard that the man with the withered hand was healed, that the demoniac was delivered, and that there was taxes due one day, and the Lord sent Peter down to the, to the Sea of Galilee, and he got the, he got the tax money out of the, out of the fish's mouth. She, she didn't have a, an eyewitness account, but, but she heard. She, she heard how that they peeled the roof off in this same town. There was a, there was a roof that was, was peeled away as Jesus was standing there ministering, all of a sudden the roof opens up and there's four people letting a paralytic down in the midst on his bed and it's like, what are we doing here, folks? This is a bit of a disruption in the house. And he looked at him and he said, take up your, your sins are forgiven, take up your bed and get to walking, amen? She, she heard this. She heard about all of this. And that hearing, and hearing my faith, wait a minute, wait a minute, I hear the stories. How the Lord went to the went to the wedding and he turned the water into wine. I heard the stories how the two blind men were healed. I heard about when the Lord went to Peter's house. All of them and, and his mother-in-law lay in the bed sick with fever, but the Lord touched her and, and now she's healed and she's up back in the community. All of this took place in Capernaum. And here she is. And she's just heard. See, Jairus' point of faith is, Jesus, I need you to come to my house, and I need you to lay hands on my daughter. Her point of faith is, I'm just going to sneak in and touch him. If I could just reach down and touch the hem of his garment... Now, there are those that would say the hem of the garment wasn't his literal hem. Some say it was his prayer shawl. Others say it would be, it might not even be the prayer shawl, but on the four corners, according to numbers, they were to put tassels on four corners of their garment. And that was to remind them that they lived according to Torah, according to the instruction. But it was also an indication to all other nations that they're living in that they are a separate people. They are a covenant God. They, they worship a covenant God because they're a covenant people. And so those tassels, I, I'm not going to take the time to abuse the Hebrew, but it's spelled T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Fun word, isn't it? Tizit, I don't know. Something of that nature. I told you I wouldn't do it, and I did it anyway. Stop provoking me. Could Jesus have been wearing what we refer to as a hem? Possibly. But there is no mistake in our hearts that he lived up to every measure of the law. And that there's no one more holy, separated from, or set apart to the work of the Father. 
than Jesus. And she said, oh, if I could just touch his commitment. Oh, if I could just reach over and just get in the crowd and just touch that commitment of the Messiah. If I could just, uh, if I could just, uh, I, I know I'm a, a daughter born in Israel, but oh my God, I, I am meant to be a part of the covenant. And with Judaism and the keeping of the law can't do it, but there's a law keeper and he's walking. If I could just touch that castle of his garment and then I will be made whole. Mm. So, do you think it was a dink that the daughter was 12 and then this woman had the issue for 12 years? Do you think that maybe the, the fact that it's mentioned, that number 12 mentioned twice, has something to do with your life and my life, that God layers his word so that we can see it on so many different levels and we take even look beyond the surface of it and say, God, what are you saying to us? See, because 12 is foundational government. And Isaiah declared that the government will rest upon his shoulder. Now, an interesting fact, what that means is whenever a groom would be married to his new bride, he would take that veil off of her face, and he would take the veil and he would lay it upon his shoulder. And it was a declaration to her and her family, it's okay now because I will protect and I will provide for my bride. And so that government now is resting. And so here is a woman who has suffered loss and lived in isolation for 12 years. And now there is a, a man who has this promised child, this beautiful baby. And now she is gone from this earth after 12 years. And here the Messiah walks through and he says, I will carry the government on my shoulders and I will provide and I will protect. That wasn't even what drew me to this passage here. We're just getting to it. See, because we're getting to faith. And see, it wasn't to, uh, the Lord met them at their point of faith. Stepped in at their point of faith. Interesting, isn't it? As they're making their way, he was aware of Jairus' need. But he's going to a private residence in order to accomplish the task. But here, she's got a private matter in a public place. She's wanting to keep it secret. Maybe it's an embarrassment to her. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a knowing that I'm about to suffer rejection from the people out there if they know my condition. If they know how bad I am, I got to keep it quiet. But oh, if I could just touch him. If I could just reach up and just touch that tassel. He don't even need to know. Imagine when you're walking by and that... That, that either the garment or the prayer shawl, if it's just waving in the wind, I could just reach up there and touch it before he even, before he even has a chance to notice. 
So she's got a secret matter, a secret mission. I'm going to weave through this crowd. They don't know how bad I am and how bad off I am. I'm just going to weave through this crowd. I believe every time we come together to worship the Lord, there's somebody. There's a woman with an issue of blood. And you're just like, I don't want anybody to know how bad I am. But my God, if I could just get to that house, if I could just get to that place, and if I could just reach up and touch the Lord, and the Lord touch me, then I'll be changed. Then let me tell you, today's your day. Amen. in see she's in a crowd but she's in her secret place she's in a in a in a street field with all kinds of people because everywhere the anointing goes people are going to follow wherever the wherever the spirit is being poured out you're going to find that people are going to start coming, some for good and some for bad. It don't make me any difference because it's not my responsibility is your opinion of God. My responsibility is to present to you the truth by the power of the Spirit so that you can make the decision one-on-one in relationship with Him. And so when the Spirit moves mightily as He is not only started, He will in these last days pour out the river of God through the house of God. People are going to show up, and there's going to be some angry individuals. There's going to be some cantankerous ones. There's going to be those that raise their fists and railing against God. And you know what? I don't even care because the power of God is stronger than all those opinions. Amen. You got time for a short story? Sure. You got nothing but time. Amen. So we, we had, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, we had life challenge, teen challenge to come to our Come to our church. You've heard this story, but pretend like you haven't. Just amuse me, okay? So one of the guys come up to me, and he's like, hey, my roommate over here, he said, my roommate over here, man, he's, he's, he's seen some stuff. I think he grew up in Detroit, Michigan, or someplace, some big city in the inner city. And he witnessed his brother being killed in a gang fight. And it so hardened him as a teenage boy, that he just becomes so grizzled and so hardened that he never shed another tear. Now, I don't know if it was the Spirit. I think the Lord was just having mercy upon me, Tommy, because he came down, and the whole message is, uh, that morning was about God breaking you, and you're going to weep before the Lord, and weep between the porch and the altar, and how that God wants to soften your heart. Uh, and here I've got this guy who just looks like a mountain of a man. He walks up in front of me, and I'm like, Today! God's going to break you, and you are going to weep like a baby. Those steely eyes were looking, and on the inside of me, I thought, what just came out of me? What did I, Tim, what did I just do? I, I just provoked a death wish on myself. So I was like, Lord, I hope that was you, but even if it's not, when I lay hands, could you go ahead and do something this morning? And I, I wound up. I was like, oh, I need some extra oil. <laughs> Are you ready? I mean, I'm already owning it. I should just go ahead and go with it, right? I said, Are you ready? He's like, Never said a word. I said, God break him. And I just, I didn't slap him. I just touched him. I wasn't going to slap him. My, my Lord, you think I'm. <laughs> that man, after. 12, 15 years broke. You'd never seen anybody cry as much as this man cried. 
He cried so much, he grabbed me, Ray, and he just started snotting <laughs> all over my suit. It was just running down my lapel. I thought, this is what the anointing looks like? I threw that suit away. I had compassion on the cleaners. That jacket was toast after that. You see, anointing broke through. Broke through. Anointing broke through. I got thinking about snot. I forgot where I was going. So she's like, if I could just, if I could just touch him. If I could just touch the king. I won't even bother him with letting me know my need. While he was walking through that crowd, he stopped. He said, somebody touched me. Disciples like, what? Is this another one of those mysterious things that we're never going to understand? What are you talking about? There's, Lord, there's people touching you all the time. What are you talking about? He said, no, somebody has touched me. Somebody has touched. See, her secret matter became a public matter. It became a public decoration. You, ultimately, church, you're not going to be able to hide your faith. Yeah, you, you, you touch God in the secret place and God touches you in that secret place, but all of a sudden uh, it's going to be a public display because the Lord is not going to hold it back. <laughs> and your, your body language is not going to stop it. So this idea of the, of the secret, secret covert operation of the church of the last day, I'll just keep going to work and let my actions show them that I really have faith. No, there's a faith that touches God that God says, no, that's my child. That's my child. That's my child right there. That, they belong to me and I want everybody to see they are mine they are mine and I will take and put their government on my shoulder I will provide and protect for them all of that was to get us where we're going see when Jesus showed up to Jarvis's house at private residence he got there and the whalers had already been solicited. Even the poorest in the Jewish community were expected to have two flutists and at least one wailing woman. And they didn't do this for free. They would be glad to mourn whatever length of time was set aside, and they will do this for pay. What an ounce of sincerity in their expression. How do we know that? Because as soon as they come in, uh, Jesus said, make room. This girl is not, she is not dead, she's only sleeping. All of a sudden, there's a cutoff of their sources, <laughs> resources. <laughs> like, oh, nope, nope, nope. We're paid to well. We well. We're paid to, to whine. We're going to whine. We're paid to grieve. We're going to grieve. You get on out of here. We've been paid. And our, we have punched the clock and our time is not finished. We don't get paid till the end. 
But Jesus said, make room. See, the room was too crowded that day. There was too much unbelief and belief was coming in the room. There was, a, there was a crowded space in that room that it required a miracle. There was too many occupants in the room for the miracle to take place. That, that the walls were too narrow and too small for unbelief and belief to occupy the same space and time. And when I read that passage, it was all of a sudden the floodgate of the Lord just began to open up. And he said, son, I want my church to start making room for me. I want my church to start making room for belief. Belief. Oh, what happened to the to the widow at Nay, the widow that made the room for Elijah? All of, when her child died, she didn't give up. She took the child and laid it before, laid him before, and that upper room, and Elijah went up and raised him from the dead. What happened to the to the notable woman who was in Shunem? She had a similar circumstance. And now he takes the place that she had prepared for the prophet. She went and laid her son down. There's some dreams that have laid there and they've been dormant and dead for too long and it's time that we start believing what God says he will do but see you can't occupy in your victory with belief and unbelief in the same room I told you last week I can't believe more than what the Bible says about me but I never should believe less That I, I, I gotta believe. See, that belief is is a repulsion to unbelief, and always will be. You you, you believe you're saved, then you start acting like you're unsaved. If you believe you're victorious, you stop acting like you're a victim. The Lord said, when I've come into belief of what he has done and what he's accomplished, then I'm no longer going to live other than what he tells me to live. And see, so as a child of God, you're always going to have that, that conflict inside the innermost part of your being until you drive out that unbelief because the Messiah has come in. And when he steps into that place, he will not occupy with unbelief. He will not occupy the same quadrant, the same space. If we are going to believe, church, that God is going to pour his spirit out in this place, we need to start acting like it. and We need to start believing like it. We need to start living like it. If we believe that God is coming, let me tell you, if you honestly believe that God is coming and you don't live every day as if he's coming, then you are more than a fool. You are at a place of internal damage and danger. Amen? You can tell me what you believe, but I can know what you believe by how you behave. Because behavior will always follow belief. Make room. When you're in the valley of Edom and it's dry and desolate, how do I know they believe the word of God whenever the prophet came? Because they love religious. In a dry place, 
where they had no energy, where they were, you know, it, it's exhausting to dig a hole, especially in this, and when it's dry around here, it's hard to dig a hole. Now, my master landscaper, I'm her hole digger. And if I'm going to dig a hole, I'm going to soak that thing down a little bit, amen? But when you get no water in the land, then it's much more difficult to dig that hole. And so the Lord said, if you want the outpouring that I want to pour out, and you don't just want to run off, then you're going to have to start making room for the Spirit when He moves. And so you've got to make a little bit of room by getting out there and digging in a place that, I don't know, rain hadn't fell here for so long. Wait a minute. Oh, Lord, this is some tough stuff. And you stand up. Anybody who stood on that shovel and you're waving back and forth, you're trying to get that thing to go down deep? Oh, man, I broke the handle. I got to go get another shovel. But you keep digging because Mama wants that plant planted. And so you just keep digging and you keep digging and you keep digging. Folks, it's life or death. Not in my house, but in the story of the valley. Come on, come back with me. I know I boomeranged you. I, I was kind of yo-yoed you here and over here. We're back. We're back in the Valley of Eden. Okay, we're digging. We're digging the. We're digging the ditches. Why? Because the promise is real. The promise is real, and we believe the promise. We believe the promise of God that He's going to pour His Spirit out, and He's pouring His Spirit out. We're going to believe the promise that we are purposeful. We are made, I see you waving, hold on, let me fix that. What are you, doing? you didn't know I had this much control, did you? What am I doing? I'm turning the air on because I'm hot too. Oh, you're about to start feeling better. It's not the Holy Ghost, but man, it's good, okay. Get ready for it, get ready for it. I think I'm kidding. I just turned the air on, okay? It's going to start blowing here. Have faith. Have faith. Expel that unbelief. See, child of God, do you believe? Thank you. Thank you. Now, the reason I, the Lord laid this on my heart yesterday, this message. Stacy confirmed it when she came in today. And I felt it necessary to minister the word so that we could step into the altar today. Because the Lord has divinely set some people up because he wants to heal you. You don't control God. I don't control God. He doesn't work for me. I work for him. His authority is in his word. When he stepped in that room, he had to get those professional whalers out of there. You guys get. Well, that was offensive, preacher. I don't think Jesus cared. Because the professional whalers were no different than unbelief. They only wanted their wages. They don't care a thing about that child that is dead, nor the parents that have lost the child. They're professionals. See, that's the way unbelief is. It doesn't care 
whether you live or whether you die, it would prefer you die. But Jesus come in and he said, we can't have that. Jairus, I, don't be afraid, only believe. Let that belief turn into trust and that trust into, into action. And then we'll, we've, we've got a faith response. Worship team, make your way up right now. You're in this house today, and maybe it's, a, maybe it's a lifelong addiction. Maybe it's a physical need that you have. Maybe it's a relational need that you have. What is your job? Your job in this is just to believe. In order to believe, you've got to expel the unbelief. If we're going to step into the place of promise, uh, we've got to understand there may be some inhabitants. There may be some Pezurites and Gergesites and all kinds of ites that occupy your land of promise. And you've got to step in by faith and say, no, God's given this to me. God's given health to me. God's given relationship to me. I'm going to stand in faith today and believe that you no longer have a place here. See, because the Lord wants you healed. He wants you filled. He wants you delivered. Stacy, I want you to come right now. Tell me what the Lord told you this morning when you got up. And as you're standing across this room right now, we're going to get ready. Get ready to come to this altar. Um, this morning when I woke up, I was really, really dizzy. I mean, I couldn't even hardly walk across the room. And I started praying. I was like, Lord, is this just me? Or is this you wanting to deliver somebody from this issue? And I started praying some more, and he's like, no, I want to deliver some people from vertigo and from dizziness. And then when I was in life class listening to Andrea, there is so much confusion right now in the world with Christians and, and outside. They're, they're non-believers. The only place you're going to find the true word is in God's word, the yes. truth. God says you are healed. You are healed. You've been, you know, he, he has done everything for you. Open up your heart. He's looking for someone to be obedient and to have a heart that wants to do his will. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Now, Lapita shared her testimony a few weeks ago. She got the report from the doctor. The doctor said the cancer is going to take over, get your house in order. She said no. What did she do at that moment? She had to push unbelief out and hold on to belief. Peter, I want you to come stand down here. If you're in this house today, God's healing vertigo right now. If that, is that you? Come on. God's healing vertigo right now. You got a dizziness? Come on. Come on. You got come on, if that's you, just come on. You're you're just you're having trouble with your balance. Somebody in here has got some inner ear issues. God's healing that right now. Come on, some inner ear issues. Come on. You know what it is. Come on. Stacy, Lance, you guys come. Make sure somebody's somebody's with them. Inner ear, come on. Come on, Dan. Just come right over here and let Stacy begin to pray for you. Come on. If you're in this house today and you're battling cancer. I want you to come right now. We're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray. Come on. You're, you're battling cancer. Come over here. 